Lord, thank you so much for your goodness toward us and this, the reality of our oneness with you in this new covenant. Just thank you that you're, you're faithful. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're such an anchor that goes beyond the veil. Holds us steady in whatever's happening in this world. Because we are children of another world. I pray we never get over the fact that we are no longer from below, but from above. I pray that we'll never get over the fact that we are sons and daughters of God himself. By a spiritual birth. By a miracle. By a new creation. Thank you, Lord, that you're renewing our minds to these heavenly realities that we might walk out on earth in peace and joy and live the rest of our lives on earth as a light, as a door, as a window to this other world that men might hear our words and believe. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Last Sunday we talked, we were in uh, the first part of Galatians chapter 6. And um, we shared some thoughts, you know, about how it's so important that, um, that the grace that we're learning, the grace that we're learning about and that we're seeing, the revelation of God's grace, uh, especially be extended toward each other. And that's what Galatians 6 is all about. When you see a brother trapped in a sin or caught in a sin or in terms of uh, a, a struggle, like we said last Sunday, it's not doesn't mean like, you know, aha, I caught you kind of stuff. It's, it's someone, we're all struggle with different things because we all have the flesh. And one of the main things that, um, even though we're not in the flesh, but we have the flesh, we are in the body and the flesh is, is uh, around us, uh, around the new me. And Paul and the apostles talked about the power of sin that dwells in our mortal body, but not in our very being. For the body is dead because of sin. It's dying and decaying every day. But the spirit is being renewed every day because of the life that is pulsating because we are actually joined to him who is life and he has become our life and all that, that awesome stuff. But we still all struggle in different ways because we are all learning how to live by another's life within so it's really, really important that we extend that grace to others. And, and Paul talks in Galatians 6, 1 about how um, consider your own self when you're going to help someone to restore their faith, encourage them in the faith, um, because we're just as weak as they are in the flesh. And I shared that story, you know, like uh, years ago, I shared, we were sharing with a brother who was going through something. And, and, and I told him, I said, I said, brother, you, you, might be sharing, you might be encouraging me a year from now. With, some, with this very same thing, whatever, you're, whatever it was. So, and it really helped him open up and receive, you know, encouragement because we weren't coming from a high horse, you know, like, you know, we've, we've got it figured out and you need to learn. No, it's, it's a humility that says, apart from Christ, none of us can do anything. And that's the grace of God that is extended to each other and that's what builds each other up and that's what encourages each other and that's what helps us all see the spiritual reality so we can grow and um, be strong in him, not in ourselves strong in him and not in ourselves. Um, so that's really, that was really important I think, to look at that. But I want to move past that, those first couple of verses in Galatians 6 and, and uh, see what Paul says as he wraps up this. We'll see how far we get today. But um, 
He says some awesome, awesome stuff in here at the very last chapter. It's really cool. So let's look at Galatians. I'll read those first few verses over again just real quick. Uh, Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, or brothers and sisters, if a man is overtaken or a person is overtaken in any trespass or any sin, or overtaken means overcome, you know, if he's struggling with something, you who are spiritual, and that's something else we talked about last Sunday, that you who are spiritual just means you who see as God sees. A spiritual person, a spiritually minded person is just someone who sees as God sees. Carnally minded, a carnally minded person sees as man sees. And a fleshly, natural person sees as man sees. So carnally, a carnally minded believer and a natural, fleshly person who's not even born of the Spirit pretty much see things the same way. Except the carnally believer, a carnal minded believer is a little more religious. But it's the same thing. It's all about man. It's all about religion and stuff. So you have really three types of mindsets in the world. You have the natural mind, which, thinks, which, which is the unbeliever who's never been born of the Spirit. And that person thinks that spiritual things are foolishness, and they don't get it, and they'll never get it without a revelation of the Spirit. I didn't get it. None of us got it until God revealed these things to us, because who can know the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God? Second type of mindset out there is the carnal believer, the carnally-minded believer who has, still hasn't really got as much as they should get in terms of what it's all about. It's not about religion. It's not about doing good works to earn God's love. It's not about you know, being at church every time the door is open so God will love me more and, and doing programs so God will love me more and all that's junk. It's a revelation of Christ. It's a revelation of Jesus himself being our life, our righteousness and our life and everything. God has made him to become all things to us. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, everything. It's all about being enjoined to him so, so that as he is, we are. It's that simple, but it's profound because it changes everything. We're actually translated from this realm to another realm in this spiritual birth such that we can say we're no longer from the Adamic race. It's awesome. That we're actually from another race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation from above in the Christ, the last Adam. So, that's, so, so to be spiritually minded is someone who, who understands that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So you know how to minister, not law, not commandments, not getting people to do things as opposed as as much as getting people to see things. Help help them to see him. Help them to see. So they might be encouraged in the faith and and uh, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So so faith is encouraged and people are restored when they see. It, I love the way the dynamic of God because scripture says as we received him, so walk ye in him in the same way. It doesn't change. The same dynamic the way we received him was by hearing something. As the Galatian letter starts that way, it's like, you know, you who would be perfected by the law, tell me this. He says, you, how did you receive the Spirit? How did you get born from above? How did you receive the life of God? Was it by doing commandments? Was it by keeping the law? Or was it by the hearing of faith? Did you hear something spoken to you and you believed? See? And that same dynamic, as we received him, so walk ye in him, is the same dynamic that carries us all through this life and into the next life. We see more. We believe more fully. We go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. We see more. We see more. We believe our, our faith grows. We see more. And the more we see, the greater our confidence and faith, the greater the manifestation of life. Jesus says, out of, his inner, out of our innermost being shall flow rivers of living water simply because we believe on him. 
Isn't that awesome? He's not a bait and switch, you know, used car salesman. We've said that where he baits us with, oh, it's only faith. It's only faith. And then when you get into this thing, it's really hard and you've got to work hard to please him and all this stuff. No, same dynamic that, that God is there, carries us there. As you received him, so walk ye in him in the same way that no flesh may glory in his presence, that only Christ would live through us by, life, by his being our life. Anyway, so this is, that's to be spiritually minded, to encourage people to see um, so that they might be strengthened in the faith because that's what will overcome the flesh. It's the spirit that puts to death the deeds of the body, not our self-discipline, not our self-will, not our knowledge of right and wrong. It is the spirit of life that puts to death the deeds of the body. And so, by, so the key is how can I stir up the spirit of life in my brother and sister? In reference to this Galatians 6, 1 and 2. How can I stir up the spirit of life? If, if, I, um, if, I reveal, if I speak Christ to that brother and sister, if I remind them of the truth, then that stirs up the gifts of the spirit that's already within them if they're a believer. And then you will see an encouragement come. You'll see life begin to flow. And you'll see uh, issues being taken care of that, um, that could not be fixed by man. There's too much flesh trying to fix flesh. And it just doesn't work. And it looks good sometimes on the outward, you know, it looks good, but it doesn't work. The only thing that works is a revelation of Christ and a growth in faith and an establishment in grace. It is good that the heart be established in grace and not in meats and drinks and rules and regulations. and It's established in grace, growing in the faith. See, that the love of God might fill us because really it's this simple. We behold love in Christ. We are filled with love because of that. When you see love, you're filled with love. Isn't that true? And it's spontaneous. It's just one of the dynamics of heaven. You see God and your face begins to shine. You don't even know it's shining. But you get a glimpse of the love of God and you're suddenly going, Oh, God, you're so good. And you just love everybody. Isn't that true? Isn't that cool? To see love is to be filled with love. Paul said that. He said, Oh, if you could only see the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of the love of God, you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. So we see love, we're filled with love, and we act in love because we're filled with love. We're not acting in love out of duty or obligation. We're acting out of abundance, out of overflow, out of overflow. We love, we respond in life out of that overflow of life. And that's the Christian life. It's so simple, yet so profound. Okay, so... That, to be spiritually minded, is to know how to minister to each other and feed each other Christ. Okay, uh, let's see. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Just real briefly, we mentioned last Sunday about how um, years ago there was a big emphasis on accountability groups, and we we need to be accountable and that kind of thing, and um, and now you don't hear much talk about that anymore. Um, and you can usually tell a Christian uh, fad or trend because it comes and it's like the talk of everybody and then it goes away. And the one thing that will never go away is the revelation of Jesus, his work, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and what that means, the mystery of Christ revealed. See? So, and one day the Lord revealed to me, I was thinking about all this accountability stuff that was coming everywhere, radio, TV, all, everybody was talking about it, promise keepers, all this stuff. Not that promise keepers was bad, it, promise keepers did a lot of good things, but the, it was like the whole, th- 
all the eggs were in this basket called accountability. And that was, that's, that was the engine that made this thing work, you know, have little groups and hold each other accountable for their sins and all this stuff. But the Lord showed me that really it's not about accountability. It's about bearing one another's burdens. It's a whole different mindset. We bear one another's burdens. We all have the flesh. We all are burdened in some way because of the flesh and this world and our, you know, the, the enemies in this world and so forth. And the things that come against us, our needs as human beings, all those things. And as we bear one another's burdens, we encourage each other in the spirit. And it's a life-giving thing as opposed to uh, an accountability, accountability thing, which is really a, a legal term. You know, to be held accountable means you're under some law is what it means. And that's why David says, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account because we're not under law. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul said. So it's, it's, a, it's a refreshing way of living, you know. Um, anyway, okay, so verse 3. I just had a glimpse of Jesus walking with the disciples and how if he had held them accountable, they'd be, they'd be out after 30 minutes. I mean, it's so beautiful. It's a perfect picture of the Father. Here's Christ, the express image of the Father in the midst of these disciples. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. And they're wanting to call fire down on Samaria. And they're rebuking Jesus for saying he's going to go to the cross. And I mean, they're, they're really, you know, just screwing up everywhere. And, 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 and Jesus is not holding them accountable at all for their sins. He's basically trying to tell them to look at me. Don't be afraid. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Something new is coming. Something very new is coming. I'm going to show you the mysteries of the kingdom to those who don't believe on me. It's going to be hidden from them. But I'm, show, I'm going to show you the, the secrets to this kingdom that's coming. It's all about me. Don't be afraid, woman. The Samaritan woman, you know, don't be afraid. Come to me. If you only knew who I was, I'd give you water to drink. You'd never thirst again. I love that. Dude. That's all right. No disturbance. You know, we probably should open that hall door and put a little sign or something. People come in the back way. See, see how much you learn when I'm around. I know. I'm sorry. I know, I know. I'm sorry. Love you, dude. Love you, man. We will not hold you accountable. We absorb you. Sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. Okay, here we go. Verse 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Now, what Paul is saying here in verse 3, 4, and 5, he's, he's actually talking about, I think he's referring to, um, actually, if you think this, you see this whole thought, it begins, look at chapter 5, verse 26, the very last verse of chapter 5. Because remember now, Remember that men put chapters and verses in the scriptures. The apostles did not put chapters and verses. So just that is a nice little tip to remember. When you're reading the scripture, sometimes they, men have cut a thought right in the middle because of a chapter. But you can look beyond that because men added chapters and verses. And it's a good thing because we can say, you know, Galatians 6.1, you know what I'm talking about. But just remember, that's of man, that's not of the spirit. And so you, if you have to read across chapters, it's okay. So look, I think the thought begins here. Let us not become conceited. Chapter 5, verse 6, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if a man is overtaken. So, so his thought is beginning in verse 26. Then he comes down here, verse 3, 4, and 5. 
For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's a reference back to those who think they're conceited, they're provoking one another, they're envying one another. See, that's the same thought. And then he says, but let each one examine his own work that he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. What he's saying here, saints, I believe, is that he's describing a person who thinks they've got it all together. See, the the Galatians, they really were getting proud that they thought, you know, we've really got you know, we, Paul, you had some good stuff, but we've learned from these Judaizers that we also need Moses' law and we need circumcision and we need other things. And, and Paul says, what, what happened to you guys? You're biting and devouring one another and judging one another. And what it is, it's legalism. Remember what this letter's all about. It's legalism coming into the purity of the gospel. And it causes this envying, this comparing with one another. And it's that, that seed of... Uh, of uh, carnal thinking and looking at each other after the flesh and not after the spirit that causes Paul to say um, this, this person thinks he's something he is not, this is the kind of person that's not willing to reach out to the person who's caught in that trespass. That's the point he's, he's saying basically, and he would definitely not be the kind of person that would consider him his, own, his own self that he could be tempted also. See, Paul is basically saying there's two kinds of people. There's a, there's a person that thinks he's, he's, he's got you know, all this stuff together, but he's actually very legalistic. And, he's, and, and his, his, his life is not showing a life of grace where he's showing mercy to others and ministering life to others and, and a life that's not uh, aware of his own weakness in the flesh. And then you have um, a person who does understand grace, who is spiritually minded. Paul says that's the person that should go restore. It's almost, it's weird, but it's, it's almost like in our thinking sometimes, we think the committed, religious, or, or, you know, we think the person that, you know, doesn't drink coffee and goes to church every Sunday and, and doesn't eat meat or what all these things that we think are, you know, really, sometimes the big discipline things, we think that's a spiritual person. Paul says, no, they're weak in the faith. Isn't that awesome? In Romans, he says, those, the, those who are weak in the faith are the ones that feel like they can't do certain things, like can't eat meat, they can't do this, they have to go to... Every Sunday is a special day and they have to observe holy days or whatever. That's someone who is weak in the faith. Someone who is strong in the faith is someone who realizes all days are alike. Anything, you can eat anything. Even, even food sacrificed to idols, Corinthians. See, they thought that, oh, you can't eat that food. That was sacrificed to an idol among the Corinthians. Paul says, eat it. Don't ask any questions, just eat it. Now, Paul says, if it comes up that that was sacrificed to idols and you have a brother next to you that's weak in the faith, don't eat it for his sake, but when he's gone, enjoy the steak. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's freedom. It's incredible freedom. When you see the spiritual reality of Christ, it's so freeing. It's so freeing. So anyway, so I think all he's saying here is that a person who doesn't see the spiritual reality of the freedom and the liberty we have in Christ. Remember Galatians, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has set you free, right? It's, it's, uh, he's saying this is the kind of person who doesn't see that liberty is uh, he, he, um, he, he's, he's almost too proud to, to reach out to someone who is in need. And then he says here, let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. What he's saying there is that um, a legalistic thinking person will have rejoicing when others praise him. And they look for the praise of others. And they, they live for the praise of others. But he's saying here, no, when you're spiritually at rest in Christ, you have rejoicing in yourself alone because you know God is with you. You know, you're not looking to, for other men to praise you and, and other men to say, you're doing good, you're doing good. But you're resting in the reality of Christ and you're living in that there's a sense of pleasure that God loves me and I don't need to have the accolades. 
You know what I'm saying? That's what he's saying here. And that's the kind of person who is spiritually minded who is able to help others. Because we're not worried about what other men think about us. We're just, we're resting. Um, Paul says, they who compare themselves with others are not wise. Because that's all, that's all part of a legal mentality to, to compare ourselves with each other and, and measure ourselves by each other. Because every single one of us is just as righteous as the other. Every single one of us is just as holy as the other. Because our holiness is in Christ, is in Him. Our righteousness is in Him. See? Isn't that awesome? It's, it's, so, it's so freeing. Okay. Then it says, verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. I think that's just a reference to each, each one has our own, we each have our own calling. We each have our own uh, stuff. So don't look to others to find your fulfillment, but be the spiritually minded kind of person that's going to reach out to your brothers and sisters through love, serve one another, encourage them in the faith, be contagious, be spiritually contagious, make people want to know him because of your life your joy, your passion, your sparkle in your eye. Make people want to know more and ask questions. Like the woman at the well, she didn't feel any condemnation. She's, you know, she had five divorces. She was living with a man who was not her husband. And she felt so ex- much acceptance and such, she saw such a twinkle in his eye that when he would say, oh woman, if you only knew who I was, I'd give you water to drink, you'd never thirst again. I mean, she was intrigued. She was moved. She was pulled. She was drawn. She started asking questions. What, I, I got a question for you. Um, we, we say that we worship here in Samaria, but the Jews say, we, what's the right answer? See? Draw them in. And because of your passion, your, your uh, light that's shining forth, and, and watch what the Lord will do in encouraging them. Okay. So then, uh, let's go down to verse 6 now. Chapter 6, verse 6. Let him who has taught the word... Share in all good things with him who teaches. That's just a quick statement. Um, Paul is saying there it's a good thing that we should encourage and support, uh, not just financially, but support with words of encouragement. You know, uh, encourage me. You know, encourage, encourage the Clark. Encourage uh, those who minister. All those. It's very important. Not just, you know, me, of course. But, you know what I'm saying? It's like... All the people that teach us, and, and even in radio and TV, it's drop a letter to someone and encourage them. Encourage those who are sharing the Word of God, because it does mean a lot, you know, to hear the feedback and so forth. That's all he's saying there, is to share in all, all, good, share all good things. Not, that's not just financially, but all good things. And encourage the, uh, those that God has put among us to encourage us in the faith, you know. I mean, I don't know what we'd do if Clark was not here, if he had not started this church. We didn't have a church. We were, we were going from church to church visiting looking for something, and uh, we finally went to Calvary. Um, we, didn't, we didn't feel like we would fit in such a big, huge monstrosity, and we didn't know anybody there but Clark, so we went there just to hear Clark. So we sat on the back pew and, and listened to Clark for about six months, and then he left. <laughs> and uh, so we're like, oh, great. Okay, so then, then we heard by uh, rumors that this new church was starting here in Longwood, and then we said, oh, gosh, we've got to check it out, that Clark was starting a fellowship. So anyway, so it's just, it's really important to just encourage those who God is leading to open doors. And um, because one thing about this fellowship, I really believe it's, it's, it's fairly unique. It's like this, I mean, you hear what's being taught, you know, it's really cool. It's like, it's not that we're just, you know, the only ones, I'm not, not saying that, but it's just really very unique word that's coming forth, a very clear, certain sound of the gospel, a certain sound you know, that's so important. How, how, can they, how will they prepare for battle if, the, if there's not a certain sound, the Scripture says? No mixture of law and grace. You know, we don't want any mixture. We don't want flesh and spirit. We don't want religion. 
We want to see Jesus. We want to see the mystery of Christ, the, the secret that was hid in God before the ages. You know, the revelation of this great work. Okay. Um, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, especially to the believers. This is just simply a, a word of encouragement and instruction that says, you know, if we sow to the flesh, notice it doesn't say you'll reap judgment. You reap corruption. It's not judgment for the believer. It's corruption. If we sow to the flesh, there's a corrupting element that comes in our thinking and so forth because we're, you know, we're not really feeding on spiritual things. And there's a corrupting element that comes in that can cloud the uh, revelation that God is giving to us. Um, but we sow to the Spirit, there's an increasing light and uh, awareness of, of His union with us. That's awesome. So we begin to realize, um, wow, you know, who we are in Him. So it's just simply an encouragement. And then He, then he says, um, let us not grow weary in, in doing good, for in due season we shall, due season we shall reap. That's part of sowing in the Spirit. He's in reference there is doing good. It's simply doing good. As God moves us to do things for others and people, you know, whether it's that word of encouragement or whether it's a gift, God is, is sending you to send, give someone a gift or open a door for someone or write a letter to someone. Those are, those are uh, that's sowing to the Spirit. And the reaping in due season will happen in this life and in the life to come. It's, it's pretty cool just, just to see how things really do come back to you. I mean, all over the place. I mean, it's not necessarily from the person you do good things for, but they come back to you from all different ways. God encourages us as we live in this, in this dynamic. Okay, verse 11. See, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Um, some theologians say he's referring to... That, by the way, this is the only letter we know. This is the only letter that was written by Paul himself with his own hand. All of his other letters were dictated and to a scribe, a friend, a brother... Um, who would write his letters for him. But this is the only one written in his own hand because it was so important for him to get this letter out. And he says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And there are two theories about this statement. That One theory is that he had an, an eye problem. You know how he to talked in Galatians about how you would have plucked out your own eyes and given give them to me when I first shared the good news with you? And, um, and some say that that, comes, that came from a result of the Damascus Road experience when he was blinded by the glory of God and then the scales fell off his eyes and he, his sight came back but it never there was always this this thing with his eyes because of this that he never forgot that experience that God allowed that physical infirmity to remain uh, to, so he would never forget the glory of God that he saw at that moment was, that's one theory so that what he's saying here one theory is that he's writing really big big letters because he couldn't see too good and so that they knew that was Paul because Paul had to write with big letters. Another theory is that this is not talking about large letters and he didn't have an eye problem. That what this is all about is he's just saying in the Greek there, this is a long letter, a large letter. It's a long letter. And see what, what, see what a long letter I've written you in my own hand. And I think that's probably the, the better explanation. That he's written a long letter in his own hand. He's taken the time to write this long letter because it's this important to him, see? Verse 12, as many as desire to make a good showing of the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. 
But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Isn't that awesome? He's driving it home now, the point that he's made all through this letter. And he's saying, look, these religious guys, they want to make a good show in the flesh. They want to boast in the fact that they've made you a convert, that you have been circumcised also, that you're one of them. And they want to make a show of that in the flesh. And they want to say that um, they want to compel you to be circumcised also. Because if you add anything to the cross of Christ, if you add anything that makes you righteous, like, like circumcision, if you add anything, the persecution ceases. He even said that in his letter earlier. He said, if I would add anything to the preaching of Christ, the persecution would stop immediately. Because it's a spiritual battle. The, the, enemy, doesn't, the enemy loves religion. The enemy is all about religion. It's not, uh, you know, religion, it add anything to Christ. And the enemy's happy. Because if you add something to Christ, then you don't have Christ. You have another Jesus, another gospel, Paul said. Another Jesus, another gospel, which is not the gospel, not the Jesus that Paul preached. Paul preached a finished work where it's all of Christ and none of us, we simply believe what he did. And so if you can add anything to that simple faith, then the enemy's won. And he's polluted, diluted, and mixed the word where it's not a certain sound going forth. Okay, so here he is. He says, and I love this part. He says, he says, um, for not even those who are circumcised keep the law. They're a bunch of liars. <laughs> They're trying to get you to do something. Religious people try to get you to do stuff that they don't even do themselves. A huge example of this is the confession of sin for the forgiveness of sin for a believer. I mean, there's, there's some uh, uh, believers out there, religious, even leaders, that teach that you're supposed to name every sin as a believer, confess every sin in order to stay forgiven and stay cleansed. We've talked about that forever, and I want to talk about it again one day too. But 1 John 1, 9 is not a verse for the believer. 1 John 1, 9 is a verse for the unbeliever who is deceived, who has not the word in him, who has not the truth in him, who has called God a liar because he says, I'm not a sinner. To that person, to that unregenerate person, to that natural man, John says, but if he will confess his sins, if he will agree with God that he's a sinner, God is faithful and just to forgive him of his sins and cleanse him from all unrighteousness. And we take that one little phrase that's directed to an unbeliever, and we use it as the Christian's bar of soap to keep us clean all the time. And those who preach that don't even do it themselves. The Pharisees used to do that. They would, they would lay burdens on the people that Jesus said, and they would not lift one finger to do the same burden that they were put, putting on the people. I mean, think about that. It's like anyone who teaches that you have to name every sin you ever commit to stay cleansed, to stay right with God, on a daily basis, as a believer now, then that means that person is pro- should be doing what he's preaching, right? Then that means that person should be naming every time he thinks something that is not what God would have thought. Sin is just missing the mark, not, not, being, not walking in the perfection of God. He has to confess every time he thinks something that is not the perfection of God. He has to name every time he says something that is not the perfection of what God would have said. He has to name every time he does something that is not the perfection of God. And if he doesn't, by his own teaching, he's out of fellowship with God and he's not cleansed. And God has somehow turned his back on him until he gets back right with God and back in fellowship with God. It's a horrible teaching. It's a horrible teaching. It's, it's horrible. 
and it, it's, a, it's a way, and it's just, and the bottom line is just not the truth. The truth sets you free. I mean, they, they, had it, they had it better under the old covenant than under the new covenant, if that's the new covenant. Because they, had, they, they brought one sacrifice at the end of the year and they were done. But the Christian, my gosh, under that teaching, you, you, there's no peace. And it's all about you. I mean, you're constantly looking at yourself. My sins, my sins. What, okay, did I name everything? Right, sins, sins. You go to pray, all you see is your sin, sin. I mean, it's, it's the biggest trick of the enemy. To, instead of your mind being set on things above, resting in a finished work where I've already died and passed through judgment that I'm as righteous as Jesus is righteous and letting that life flow through me and put to death the deeds of the body and renew our mind so we can bear much fruit. It's awesome. God's way of life and peace. He who is spiritually minded is life and peace, but the mindset on the flesh is death and condemnation and guilt. Oh gosh, I heard a radio program the other day where um, it was like, I was, it was like seven ways to get rid of guilt in the Christian's life. You know, I'm going like, it was, a, it was seven steps to getting rid of guilt in your, as a believer, you know, and um, oh gosh, it was just so complicated. It was like, I'm, I'm, on, I'm thinking like, behold the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Do you believe this? You know? It's so awesome. Can you imagine the, the poor of the world, the uneducated of the world, the million, the billions that are uneducated? You think they could pull that off? Seven ways to remove guilt in their life? You see? God has made it so simple but so powerful. Not many wise get it. Not many noble get it. He chooses, he chooses the foolish to confound the wise and the weak to confound the strong. See? It's the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. You know? And that's where, we, that's where life comes and, and uh, you know, some of the, the, the real intellectual, intellectual uh, type would, would think that's too simple. That's too, you know, well, it's, it is simple, but it's very profound because God did the hard part. The very hard part. He actually plunged the whole world into judgment on that cross and raised a new creation. So cool. Okay. Um, okay, here we go. Let's wrap up. Let's try to wrap this part at least. Um, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, see, in him is just another phrase that refers to our union with him, inside of him. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But all, the only thing that matters, he's saying here, is a new creation. A new creation. So, uh, isn't that awesome? Yeah. Now, See, this is, this is so cool. He says, the whole world has been crucified to me. Is there anything in the world? I love where Paul says, you know, why, why, do you, why do you live your life on earth as if you're still living in the world? Touch not, taste not, as if you're still living in the world. See, this is, this is so cool. This, this is a revelation. The new creation revelation is so profound. It actually literally allows you to see that the whole world has been removed from you. I am crucified to the world, dead to it, and the world is dead to me. It's a huge revelation. It's like a nuclear blast has totally wiped out. It is Noah's flood. Noah's flood is a picture of this. The ark was Christ, and judgment fell on Christ 
And he carried us through that judgment to another world. The old world was totally dead to them. And they to that old world. It didn't exist anymore. It was a whole new world. The new creation, it's a, it's a revelation of a new people. A new people that now we are truly strangers and pilgrims on this planet. We truly are not from here. I mean, this is awesome. This is the growing revelation of the mystery of Christ. This is what was hidden in God, what he would do through the Son of God. That he would terminate everything. And Noah's ark was a picture of what he was going to do. He would terminate, he would blot out all flesh. And he would raise a new creation so that those who see can live in this life completely free of this world. Including the religious world. Totally free. Totally free. And then we'll finish the last few verses, the Lord willing, next Sunday. But I tell you, saints, this new creation, I'll just drop this thought on you. This is, this is, this is nuclear. Ready? <laughs> it's not just your spirit that's been reborn. Nowhere does Scripture say that he's just, re- only your spirit's been reborn. The common teaching out there is that the spirit has been Reborn, the soul is being reborn, and this body will be, you know, made immortal. It's true that, about the body. The body is the, our last thing we wait for, the redemption of our body, when mortality shall put on immortality. Paul never did say that it's just the spirit. And the soul is kind of in between and limbo and being worked on. Paul talked about an inner man and an outer man. And the inner man is composed of spirit and soul. They are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. Spirit and soul are distinguishable. Contrary to Greek philosophy, there is a spirit and a soul. Greek philosophy doesn't recognize that. Spirit and soul are distinguishable, but they're inseparable. It's the invisible you. And guess who got born again? The invisible you. All of you. You have a new soul. You have a new soul. We sing about he saved our soul. Jesus said you'll you'll find rest for your souls. You are a new person. The same God who created the first person created the second person. And the only reason we don't manifest perfectly who we are in him is because in these bodies... We are, we see in part, we prophesy in part, but the real you, when you die absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord, with nothing else needing to be done. You will come out of your body when you die, and you will feel like you just left this heavy fur coat in the middle of summer. And you'll also leave any tendency towards sin, because that's the power of sin that's in the flesh. And you'll you'll also know all things as you were known in a moment. You will see what the Spirit's been trying to tell us the whole time while we're in these bodies. You'll see it in a moment. We'll know all things as we were known. You see that awesome? You see what walking by faith is? Walking by faith 
is receiving this revelation now on earth, not when we die, and enjoying this reality, even though we stumble in many ways because of this body, this flesh, even though we're, we, we're weak and in total dependency, and that's why he made it that way, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power is clearly seen of God, not of ourselves. But I'm telling you, you're not going to get any more righteous than you are now or any more holy than you are now. There will be a progressive manifestation of holiness, a progressive manifestation of fruit as we grasp these things and believe and receive and enjoy these things. There will be the fruit that will come forth that will be amazing. But you are the same. You're an heir now, not when you die. You're a son now, not when you die. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Nothing matters anything. Nothing matters except a new creation. Let me just finish real quick. This last verse. Got to say this real quick. And as many as walk according to this rule, Paul is adamant. As many as walk according to this rule, the rule that all that matters is a new creation. Are you a new creation? Then enjoy life. Enjoy him. Enjoy each other. It's over. Enjoy it. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He says Israel of God because the Judaizers were saying we're the true Israel. And God's, Paul says no, this is the Israel of God. Peace and mercy be upon you. And from now on let no one trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. That's the persecution that he, he endured. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So be it. Isn't that awesome? Oh, God, it's so cool. It's so cool. Yes. How can we imagine God's going to birth us a new person, a new person from above, and somehow he doesn't do the soul? I mean, that's who we are, spirit and soul. It's the inner man that's been made new. We're slow to believe all that he would do in this awesome work. We walk by faith. Jesus said, when I return to earth, will I find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man returns, will I find someone who believed I did it? Yes, he will. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see these simple but profound things. You are our wisdom. Christ is our wisdom. And we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're not ashamed of the simplicity of it. Oh, Corinthians, I fear lest by the subtlety of Satan as, he's, as he deceived Eve and brought Eve away from the simplicity of Christ into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you would lose that simplicity that it's all him. And it's all done. And we are, we are at rest in the tree of life. The tree of life has come the bread of life from heaven. Thank you, Lord. Bless my brothers and my sisters, Lord. Help us to wrap this up. You're, you will, Lord willing, next Sunday, and we'll see what else you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.